welcome to the Victory Speaks Inspired Conversation Series, where iron sharpens iron. That's you and me sharpening each other. I am your host, Nicole Waldron, your voice of victory and your mental fitness coach. And I'm on a mission to create inspiring life conversations with everyday experts, unsung heroes and thought leaders that will empower us to live a victorious lifestyle. As you join me on this journey through these inspired conversations, I hope you will be inspired to have intentional conversations that will lift you up and enhance your life. No matter the type of conversations we have, good, bad, funny, you name it, it can all be inspiring. Tonight, I invite you to get comfy, get a nice drink or snack, grab a notepad, as you just never know when a wisdom key can be dropped. Please share this with your friends and get ready to engage with us. It is a great day here in the city of Toronto, and I'm just so stoked. I am so excited. I have been hardly able to contain myself all day with the guests that I have here with you tonight. Um, and so before I get started, you know, it's International Women's Month. The show is being taped in March. And the theme this year in Canada, I really love it. Women inspiring women. And one of the women here tonight, the woman that's here tonight with the man that's here tonight is a woman that has inspired me for years. It's also Black Mental Health Week in Toronto, and we're focusing on mental health and wellness in our community. So I hope this show really just stirs your pot, just inspires you, but also makes you think to relax, relate, release, and know that your mental health is health. And, you know, I never, I didn't think that this month I would get these guests. I've been, I've been having them, holding them in my back pocket, and I'm, I'm just praying I would get them, and then, bam! There they appeared because they have just released an amazing documentary. And if you haven't seen it, boo on you. You got to catch up. Tonight, I'm having an inspired conversation with the founders of Hungry Eyes Media. They are the executive producers of the recently released documentary, Black, an origin story. This is a groundbreaking exploration of Canada's Black history. My guests, my victory guests tonight are Jen Holness and Sud Sutherland. Now, you got to do me a favor. You got to make sure that you show them. I know we're, I know we're verbal, we're virtual and stuff, but you can still show some hearts. You can still show some love. You can put some comments. Let us know where you're tuning in from. So let's give a victory speaks welcome to Suds and Jennifer. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're going to take you off mute. You, you're on mute. There we go. How's that? Sorry about that. <laughs> you are back on mute again. What are you touching, Jen? It's something on your computer. There we go. Don't you just love the virtual world? Oh. There we go. Okay, how's that? Did we do it? Did we it's, do it? It's good. Oh, he did okay. It. All right. All right. So Nicole was just saying that we're very excited to be here with you tonight. And I am like thrilled. You, your send up, your intro was amazing. Um, <laughs> but we're really glad to be here. And we're, we're, we're good. We Last night I won the Crystal Award. So listen, listen, yeah. hold on, hold on. I want to tell you congratulations first. I have that in my script. 
I saw the award on Instagram and I was like, if Instagram could make noise, I'm like, my God, women in film and television have honored and acknowledged you. The Crystal Award for Creative Excellence. Come on, Jennifer. Give it up. Show her some love. This is where I wish, you know, the, the audience was live and everybody can just applaud you. You're just super califragilisticexpialidocious. Oh, my God. <laughs> Very good. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> It's my favorite word, and I only use it at special times. So as you get to know me, you'll know it's my favorite word. So how do you feel about winning that? Okay, you're back on mute. How do you feel about winning that award last night? Hold on, we're going to wait for that mic to come off mute. Why do we keep slipping into mute? But, I don't even know. Um, yes, it was. I felt I, a part of my speech, I talked about the fact that my very first job in the industry was at Twift. Wift used to be called Twift. Really? And I, yes. And it was my first job and I was a coordinator uh, for a mentorship program. And here's the thing. I didn't even know half of the jobs that I didn't know what they did. I didn't know what they were, but I was like, I was fascinated. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is where I want to be. So to think now, so I've wanted to have one of them crystals since then. So to get the award all these years later, um, it was really special for me. I, I have to say that there's not a lot of things I, I you know, think about or covet or anything, but the crystal, um, and especially for creative excellence, is something that I've actually, it's been in my, it's been in my list of things that would um, make me a little bit happy. <laughs> so you see what happens when we dream big and we have the vision you have that full circle moment. I'm just, I'm so excited for you. And I'm excited that it's happened in Women's Month. I'm excited that it's happened when in Canada, we're saying women inspiring women. And I know you're inspiring so many women by what you do. Suds, don't take it personally. It's just a <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, It's I'm, all I'm, about us for a minute. Just, just for a minute, just for a hot absolutely, minute. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so here's the thing. You know, I didn't do your bios. Like, you know, Jen is this, 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 and Suds is this, this, this. I want you to tell me about each other. Mm. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to start talking about you or do you want to start? You could, you could. Uh, ladies first. Okay. Yes. Ooh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Sud Sutherland is one of the top uh, creatives in Canada. He is one of the best directors out there. Um, we have a production company together. He writes, he directs, and he executive produces. Now shifted into producing as well. Um, uh, you know, he is the only uh, Black Canadian to win um, Best First Feature at TIFF. Um, he has a lot of firsts um in his in his name in terms of what he's done um and i do think um that um he is a director to be celebrated we've worked together our our whole careers uh, we've made work together our whole careers and we've made impactful work um i guess what more can i say about sense other than the fact that he's an outstanding director writer and creative partner and you love him. You love him. You love him. I'm married too. You love him. Can you get that vibe? funny because we were in one of the first places where we we had a, a actual win a prize, uh, the HBO Short Film Award. We presented and we'd said, "Oh, that my partner, this, my partner, that." And then people in there was like, "Are you married or not?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so yeah, yeah, we're, like, yeah, we're married. We're married. So people like like that, I guess. But. Um, what 
what I could say about Jennifer Holmes. Jennifer Holmes is a fantastic director, writer, and producer. Um, she has uh, like a, a force of nature. Uh, <laughs> she is a person who um, really is acts as like an inspiration for others because she's the kind of person who's like figures it out and gets it done. And but she also aims high because she also dreams, dreams big. And so that has sort of propelled our company um, forwards um, and not just sort of thinking small, but thinking and having a global global vision, uh, a universal vision. And I think that mm -hmm. part of that is just that idea that, okay, well, we're just going to go for it. Um, we're going to try, you know, if we, if we fail, it's not failing, we learn. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this stems kind of from her mother who came here from Jamaica. Uh, she was in her early 20s and she had three kids, bam, bam, bam. And she thought, you know, uh, I don't want to have seven kids, <laughs> you know. And so she just said, I'm going to Canada. She, she told her, her her husband that she wanted to go. And then he's like, I'm, I'm not letting you go. You're here. I'm not going to, to Canada. This is my country. I'm, I'm here in Jamaica. Uh, I'm not going. And then she left on the cover of night. She set set the kids up and <laughs> uh, and set the kids up with relatives and then came. <laughs> wow. That's my mama. We embodied that spirit. And I should add, son's Jamaican parents um, who met in London and got married there and came to Canada. So we're both... We're both connected to the diaspora. We are both Caribbean people. And, um, you know, and so we have that vibe going on too. <laughs> you know, I just listened to the, how the two of you introduce each other. What is something, one thing, I know there's many, one thing you really admire about each other? Oh. I think, I think personally, I admire, uh, this is going to sound weird, but I admire Jennifer's consistency <laughs> and you know what i mean it's like what you see is what you get she's straight up she's honest she does not pretend but she's just she is who she is and she's truth and she's like this is you know we have to be an example to our children we have three daughters right. but we have to be an example to everybody we come in contact with and being consistent in how you do things is something that I strive for. I'm not always the most consistent. It's something that she just does. It, it's not easy, but it's just it's just that's something that she does uh, as a way of being consistent and um, solid. And so that is something that I admire about her, and I try to emulate as I'm trying to live with, you know, rigid honesty and 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 uh, and, and trying to be the person who I I I, I my potential of who I am. Mm. Oh, I, I love that answer. I'm Don't worry, Suds, you're not alone. I'm trying to be consistent, too. <laughs> what, what would you say about your, your beloved? Oh, gosh, my <laughs> beloved here. And he's my beloved. Um, I think the thing I admire the most about Suds is that in the face of all obstacles, in the face of, you know, things that are dramatically wrong or didn't go the way we wanted or what I felt like I needed and, you know, didn't happen or something. He finds a way to keep me encouraged, mm. to keep me from slipping into that, like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's bad. It's not gonna, you know, I think that having someone with that kind of 
hope and optimism. And I'm a hopeful person, I have to say that. Right. But that kind of sense that it's going to be okay, that um, I'm okay, that I that I haven't failed or, you know, or it's because, you know, sometimes as a woman, yeah. you, know, you take it on, right? And he has always managed to show me that, you know, tomorrow is another day and I'll make it through. And that's been really powerful to me um, because like I said, I'm a very hopeful person. So when I get into that place, mm-hmm. it's it's because of a, a lot has happened. And to have someone who can take me out of that, it's really special. And you know what? I, I love your honesty and your transparency. And I hope, you know, anybody listening live and on the replay, you're really, you're really hearing what they're saying and what they're not saying. And even when I think of Mental Health Week, I see this synergy between the two of you and I'm tearing up. They're, they're tear, but they're literally tear ducts happening on the side of my eyes. When I just hear the, the mutual respect and love and care that you have for each other. And I see somebody else cares for you on the line tonight. Dr. Vibe is in the building, y'all. What's up, Dr. Vibe? <laughs> big congrats to you, Jen, on your award. You know, this is, this is big news. This is, this is big news. Now, you know, when we, as we look at, you know, today we're in March, you know, two years, three years ago, basically we were, you know, really deep in this pandemic and, and now we're here and you released a, a, a documentary, which we're going to go to in a bit, but how has COVID inspired you? Because it seems to have given you a little extra spunk or something along the way. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't know if people know this, but just before COVID hit, I was at a low in my career. It felt like um, there were commitments to women in Canada, but even as a woman and a woman of color, I did not see a path where I was being supported. And I was literally on the verge of quitting the business because it just felt like too hard um, and it wasn't just me. Black folks weren't um, being valorized here in Canada. And I was seeing moves happen in the States. And it was just like, why? Why is it that there's no more funding for us? Why is it that they're not looking at um, the international cha- the challenges we have internationally? Why? Why? And, um, and also, to be honest, after we did Shoot the Messenger, um, there was... Um, uh, I felt an individual that was really trying to block our progress um, because we weren't, I guess, subservient enough. We weren't deferential enough. We didn't, you know, go down on our knees and say how grateful we were. Mm-hmm. So then, so then the pandemic hit, and and George Floyd is murdered, and it's like, mm-hmm. and at that point, um, a friend called me and said, "Hey, wow." Um, you know, the, in the U.S., the, the WGA, w, the Writers Guild of America, made a statement. Are you guys going to do anything? And I was like, well, what? it won't even matter. Nothing. It won't matter. Mm-hmm. No impact here. And then she says, well, you figure out what you want to do, but I think you should think about it. And I thought about it. And the next morning, I got on the phone and I called Damon and I called Joan Jenkinson. And we started the Black Screen Office. And, you know, um, got a, got some more Black folks involved. And, and um, so I'm a founder and uh, the, now the chair. That was one of the things. Mm. Forming the Black Screen Office, I've had a sense that um, because of the response and the reaction to it, that we're finally 
being listened to. What's more, money is being put into our community. There's an understanding of how brutal it has been for us artists. You know, a friend of mine yesterday um, said to me, it feels like you're getting an award or you're on a cover of something almost every week. And she right. said, but she said, it's because it's, it's, it's making up for all the times when it should have happened and didn't. So she said, don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel mm -hmm. like deserving. It's because it, it should have happened then and it didn't. And so I guess the pandemic, so my answer is that while brutal and I did get COVID yeah. in 2020 and I did get COVID in 2022 wow. in January, right? So while brutal on me physically, um, it's been like a new lease in life because we're being seen, Nicole. Yes. We're being yes. heard. And, yes. uh, and, uh, and, and it's a national thing. The struggles of Black people in this country is finally being understood. And that is where my lease comes from, my new lease on life, as they say. <laughs> it's the opportunity in the crisis. And, you know, I, I, I really believe there was an opportunity in the crisis for creatives, especially for us in our community and for those that were able to, to seize the moment. I like, you know, when I grew up in Trinidad, I, um, the school I went to, the, the motto was carpe diem, seize the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could see that you guys, you really seized the day. And I know it's, it's, it's a hard journey. And I, and I just hope and that anyone who's listening out here, especially if you're a filmmaker and if you're a creative, listen to what they're saying and get the inspiration and find somebody to, you know, that will help you along the way. But, you know, Suds, how did you even become a filmmaker, director, producer? I mean, like you're everywhere. People don't even know half the places that you're at. You're like this, you know, gentle giant behind the scenes of many things. <laughs> um, I, um, how did I become a filmmaker? Um, I was uh, always writing as a kid. And then so I was writing, writing, writing. And I, I then when going to high school, uh, I wanted to become, uh, you know, an actor. Went, try to audition for acting roles not getting in thinking oh because they're all sort of victorian plays it's racism it's racism and then so then raisin in the sun comes up and then mm. oh i'm gonna be in this play because it's black and then i didn't get in that one either so i was like well i guess i'm not a very good actor so i'm just gonna write my own play and star in it and so i go and i i give the play to this uh this white guy he's a director best director in the school and then i asked him a few days later what uh you know, what do you think? And he's like, well, it's pretty good for a black play. And I'm like, black play? What are you talking about black play? You know, I was like, what are you talking about? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to direct myself. And then so that's how it happened. Literally, organically like that. Then I just, after that, I just, um, it, it went through the, you know, the Sears Drama Festival and that early encouragement because it won prizes and stuff. That early encouragement said, okay, well, I, you, you might be able to make a living at this. And, uh, you know, some teachers encouraged and friends and so on. And then Spike Lee was also happening at the time. So then I, I decided to go to uh, York University for film school. And that's where we met uh, Jen hey. in hey. Film school, but she was doing a, a public policy administration, a political science degree. And so political science slash business degree. So we just like, you know, it was an attraction thing, you know, and just that happened. But then, she, you know, she started, uh, oh, I kind of like this film thing. <laughs> you know, and, and I kind of like this such thing in the film thing. <laughs> yeah, and it just started off like that, and then then we also we were at the York University newspaper too, so we used to be at the newspaper hanging around there too. 
I do want to say that what Suds, because he's very modest. So Suds was, he's very modest. And I love that you said he's a gentle giant. Um, uh, uh, he was designated as gifted as, as a young child in like grade five or, or, or six. And um, so unlike most of us, he went through the gifted stream and the play itself was selected for Sears and that meant it traveled across Ontario and different schools uh, put it on, um, mounted it. It was mounted by different places, different schools. And I just think that that must have been such an incredible experience as a young person to have that. Whereas for me, I, uh, I, I didn't have that experience. And in fact, I was always creative and writing as a kid, but there was no one that encouraged me. I wasn't in one of those programs where I was seen as artistic or even important. I grew up thinking I was very like whatever, but, and the vision and the ideas I had, I thought that they were like flights of fantasy because that's how my my family kind of saw it. So, um, but the fact that Suds had that experience and is so modest about that experience where some people, especially men, black men, would be like, I was this, I was that from the, and he never, in fact, I think we were living together five or six years before he even mentioned that he was gifted or I had been in a gifted program wow. and all these kinds of things. It just, it just doesn't occur to him to, Listen. yeah. Well, I, I think humility will take you places. I, I, I think though, in terms of like that whole thing, like the gifted experience, those type of magnet schools or those kind of gifted programs, like a lot of the kids that I came up with back in my old school, they never finished. They didn't finish high school and they, you know, they had, you know, it was, it was tough. Right. So it's like when you take a kid out of an environment, yeah. Like the truth is that every kid should have the high school, had the education that I got because I was mm -hmm. stimulated. I had opportunities to learn. I had opportunities to do things and figure out who I was. And so every kid should get that. So I feel a bit guilty about it. Right. I don't feel that it's right that just certain and certain kids get picked out and plucked out. Everybody should have that educational uh, opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. so that's why I'm kind of I have mixed feelings about it. I again I appreciate the education I got, but I got a very mixed feelings about it because I got friends who who came up and and they had potential. They have you know lots of potential. There's so much potential out there, and it's a fallacy to think that only this and this kid should get that opportunity. Everybody should have that opportunity, especially us black kids. But here's the beautiful thing about it, and I and I appreciate the fact that you even say that you feel guilty about it. The beautiful thing about it that I am hearing is that you don't just take the information and the experience, you share the information, you share the experience, and you empower others to be part of the journey. So that's where I would even encourage you to release that guilt because that guilt is going to hold you back from what else you have to do. You are such a gift to the world. Just somebody hearing you say that and the, and the, the humility that comes with it just makes me say la and appreciate you even more. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm the weeping host. I'm not the host that doesn't weep and stuff. I cry. Just letting you know. Just letting you know. Oh, look, I see Miss Emily Mills is on the line. She is learning a lot about this power duo. Congrats to you both. Oh, you're welcome, Em. I'm so glad hey, you're on. Hey, Emily. Emily is just, yeah, she's my other, she's my sister friend for life. I'm mm -hmm. telling you. We and love so, Emily. You know, there's so, you know, I, let me tell you, you know what I would love to see? Um, Emily, you, you're listening with your production ears. 
I would love to see a documentary on Suds and Jen. <laughs> life. Because I, I, there's so much meat here. And I have to remember that voice of Emily that always tells me, what do you want to get out of the show? I, I want everything out of the show. She's like, Nicole, you only have a short space of time. But there's so much in you guys. Like I think of like Hungry Eyes Media, like just, just give us a little taste of how did you even come about? I mean, the name Hungry Eyes, what made you start this? And I kind of have a feeling that like when, when Sud said, well, they wouldn't let me in the door, so I create my own thing. So they didn't let me act, so I, I directed my own thing. It's, if, you, if you don't get the opportunity, I'm just going to create it myself. That is a bing, bing moment. Hungry Eyes, what is Hungry Eyes Media? Yeah, well, I mean, it started off with the idea of we wanted to create film food for eyes that were hungry for representation, eyes that were hungry to see stories about ourselves, by ourselves, for ourselves. And that was what we sought. Like, that was the beginning of it. it we had a company that was called Hungry Eyes Film Food. <laughs> and then people thought we were caterers. <laughs> I was like, we got to change the name. <laughs> so the food was like, this has got to stop. We got to change, change the name. But, we are going to change yes. the name to Hungry Eyes Film and Television. Yes, All right? And I'm yes. like, yeah, okay, it makes sense. But, makes sense. but I want to say that just that embodies us. Like, so Suds is a bit of the dreamer. Hungry Eyes Film Food. Film is food for Hungry Eyes beautiful mm -hmm. and people be like it's a catering thing and so me i come along with my practicality and say hunger eyes is perfect but we need to be where we are going to get the opportunities so hungry eyes film and television so we were that for the longest time and at some point you know the whole it, it became media because remember we started when we were like personal computers mm -hmm. were just going and then next to me was cell phones and you have mm -hmm. like a power of like a giant computer in a phone and so media then became so that that was how that was but you know between the way such things and i'm like here here's the thing i am um and such will tell you um an avid reader i i am um, i i love writing and i and i i bring a lot of people don't realize that i do a lot of the writing in, in mm. our uh, relationship and so they but I'm not I'm not like also seeking you know self-aggrandizing or any of those kinds of things but for for me what I bring to the table is a real practicality like mm -hmm. like this is the steps a plan I come with a plan these are the steps that we need to to take to get here these are the steps we need and then also I think that um, I'm a person who has never really understood the word no, mm. or you shouldn't do this. Um, that's like fuel to you. Right? That's exactly. fuel to you. And I didn't even recognize it. But when people would say no, because most of my life people dismissed me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when people would say no, it was very natural for me to say, what are they talking about? And then figure out another way of getting what I needed to get. So that's always been how I I, I roll. And then like, but just like it, it I'm, it's also, it's just natural. It wasn't something that I gave any thought to. It was literally like, oh, this person said, like when we did our first short film, as I was talking about um, uh, my father's hands, 
we, I, I, I was, I'm self-taught. So we, I, I raised maybe about $30,000 with grant monies, but we needed another 12 or 15. And there was a program um, for showcase in Canada, I had a program where it selected um, two projects a year for short films. And we were preparing for it and we had to go and pitch. And, and you know, we'd never had a professional pitch with a broadcaster and for a short film. And though we, we are prepared, we go, we pitch. And there's, I think there's three producers are pitching and they call us after the pitch. And they said, oh, you, we, you didn't get it. Mm. We didn't get it. And I was like, well, why didn't we get it? And they said, well, we thought your pitch was good, but we don't think the director is ready yet for this endeavor, this 20 odd minutes short film. And so Suds was like completely like gutted. I was, on, I was on the other phone, right? And we lived together. And so I was listening and I was like, who is this is ridiculous. No, you yeah. were gutted. You I were was angry. You were angry. I was angry. You were sad. But I didn't say anything think, on the line because yes, I was like not yes. trying to be unprofessional. So yes. th this is a half hour film, and I've done like you know five minute, ten minute, almost fifty minute shorts up until that point. And this was the next level. But they saw a black man in front of them, and they never saw no black director in front of them. So they just like dismissed me and Jennifer. Yeah. So you know. But here's the thing. So I said to him, and here's the thing. I said to him, well. That's ridiculous. We're just gonna do it. So we, so we're just gonna do it. So maybe six months later, we make the short films called My Father's Hands. Mm. It goes on to win the be the only Canadians to win at the Acapulco Black Film Festival, which is the American Black Film Festival, but the HBO Prize for Best Short against four other American teams. Wow. Okay, we win a twenty thousand dollar award. And we get um, a $17,000 HBO license where it airs on HBO, okay? We sell it to um, numerous um, places that uh, do short films. In fact, we make, from that little short film, we made something like $80,000, which, wow. which we tucked away and helped us to buy our first house, right? So... Um, I'm telling you. So, but, but that was it. It was but just like ironically, that same woman who said, "Oh, your director's not ready." We hire her later on to do business affairs for us. Wow. On a series, and it's like it's just very funny because I'm like, you know, a lot of people think when they meet you, and let's say you're in your 20s or whatever, that you're gonna freeze at that level. You yeah. freeze, and you're not gonna grow in skills or abilities or intelligence or whatever. So. That combined with racism and all this other the class system and caste and all that kind of stuff goes into somebody's mind and limits sets limits mm -hmm. on people. So we take that as fuel, you know. Like mm -hmm. even just in terms of like you know Jennifer's, you know, she got went to university. We both went to university, but along the way, you go to high school and you meet people who set you know limits on you because of your skin color, because of their stereotypes about your right. the what your potential is. Because I remember. Um, you know, she, you know, she's very brilliant, but she's quite modest as well. And so she, you know, the, the reason why she probably never got to the, get the program because teachers, black, non-black teachers would not see her and see that potential because you gotta be recommended by a teacher. And so yeah. when you're not like, and so some teachers said to you like, oh, you should try to be, be a secretary. That's what yeah. you aspire to be. My mother wanted me a lawyer and I didn't know what I wanted to be. And cause nobody took writing and I didn't know anybody who was mm -hmm. a writer. 
or any of those things. So nobody took that seriously. So um, when I went to the guidance counselor and I said, oh, you know, I'm thinking about maybe law. And she said, oh, no, you should be a secretary. You know, you that's what you should do. And again, I have such respect for people who work yeah. in that area. But the fact that 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 was what she felt was where the height and and this is and I had good grades and and I remember though when I went to university and I did this policy analysis class and my professor pulled me aside and said oh you're such a good writer wow and you know like you know and I've had multiple people say this to me in my life how did you learn this or how do you and I and I would be like first of all I was floored because mm-hmm. no one had said to me that I was like a bright person. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh yeah, whatever. And it was dismissed. It was never given any attention. And it was the first time I understood that I saw things in a way that like a really brilliant person might understand or think that was valuable. Up until that time, I didn't even know. And so that's what the system does to you. So yes. for us and I, we try to bring people in and explore their brilliance from an early position because we know that the system historically changed a bit now, but the system historically was one that yeah. diminished. Yes and no. The system, I don't know how much it changed, but maybe no. more, more black faces in it at you know the superintendent level or what have you. But the education system, I remember going to the guidance counselor when they're talking about university and which university you want to go to. And this guy didn't even open up his uh, file on me. Didn't even open up my file. And he's telling me, yeah, I think, you know what? You look like you could be a, a carpenter, you know? And this is like just out of Malcolm X. I'm like, what are you talking? I'm like, okay, sure. I, I never expressed any interest in carpentry. But I'm like, <laughs> where did you get this from? And I said, Do you, could you open up my report cards? Because I want to go to York University. Like, York wow. Okay. And he opens up a report. Like, oh, oh. And he knows I was gifted or whatever. He's like, oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm like, he, but you know what I'm saying? He gave me yeah. the treatment because he just saw the, my skin color that I walk in the door. And that's what he thought who I was. And all of our kids are going through that every day. You know, they're, they're, they're going through it so much. You know, like I, 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 I have friends that are teachers and principals and stuff. And when you hear what you went through and you hear that they're still going through this and it, it's just mind blowing. And you, you wonder what it's going to take to wake them up. You know, and and like you, you guys are just so phenomenal. Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like another. I feel like we need like five parts to this show. <laughs> and I'm sure anybody who interviews you feels that way. And you know, I love Sarah. Sarah picked up on it right away. Refusal as fuel to keep trying. You know, and listen, you got you got some love here on the line tonight. Stacey Ann says, my favorite power couple. Come on now. Come on now. (laughs) Yes, this is what I'm saying. And I'm just so welcoming everybody who's tuning in live and on the replay. I got the great, I have been blessed and honored to have the great Ben Holness and Sud Sutherland here with me tonight. Um, And, you know, one of the the, the main reasons they kind of came on was to talk about their new documentary. But, you know, I got to let you get a little taste of them because not everybody knows about you, you know. They don't know the great power couple that many of us know and have been looking at, you know, over the bench and say, oh, look, Suds and there's Suds and Jen, you know, and and we've been looking at you from a distance. And so before we get into um, Black, 
and origin story. Do you want me to show them the clip now or as we get into it? I'm going to let you make the choice tonight. Well, why don't you show it now? And then yeah, then, then, yeah, yeah then, then they can see what it's about. Then they know what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to show you a little clip and then we're going to come right back. Black people in Canada are the northernmost expression on the planet of anything you want to call African. We are the Nordic African people. We have to understand is Nova Scotia history of black presence is very complicated. I think it's the most complex in the nation. We're dealing with waves of migration. After meeting the queen in Buckingham Palace, she asked me about it. She said, tell me about this book of Negroes. And I love the fact that this kid from Don Mills could tell the queen something about British history that she didn't know. They were not settlers, they were settled, given no other place than to come to Nova Scotia. This story is about the black loyalists, ex-slaves turned soldiers who fought alongside the British in the American Revolution. They came to Nova Scotia with hope in their hearts and freedom in their hands. Next came the fighting Maroons of Jamaica, who were deported to Halifax in 1796 by the British. Undefeated warriors who lived free for over a century, they embodied a powerful spirit that could not be subdued. Then came the black refugees who took up arms in defense of Canada in the War of 1812. Facing great hardship, they became part of an enduring community like no other in this country. Descendants of these three epic migrations represent Canada's largest black population today. The black loyalists, Jamaican Maroons, and the black refugees. Together, they constitute an incredible story that is Nova Scotia. My name is Isaac Sini. I'm the director of the Transitionary Program at Dalhousie University. I'm also a specialist on the history of Cuba, African diaspora, and Black Canadian history. One of the very interesting myths about the American War of Independence is that the majority of people of African descent supported the rebels who were fighting to throw off the yoke of British domination. But many more Africans volunteered to fight with the British because the British, in a sense, promised them freedom, issued two proclamations, and said any African who joined them would be granted their freedom. When the revolution broke out, the population of the American colonies was about two and a half million people. Uh, included in that two and a half million were half a million enslaved Africans and, and African-Americans. And it occurred to some of the British dignitaries that if they could get the enslaved population on their side, then they could win the war. But the estimate at the time was 100,000 enslaved people ran away to the British. My name is James Walker. I am now an emeritus professor and I taught race relations and human rights at the University of Waterloo. 
the person claiming freedom had to run away, had to, make, had to free themselves, and then they went and offered their services to the British. And it was a slave rebellion. They were saying, I want to participate in this slave rebellion. And so to do that, they had to join the loyalists. They referred to as black loyalists. Some of these who joined the British side to fight, different black battalions were formed. Some of them actually carried emblems that said liberty for slaves, which indicated that not only were they free from slavery, but they were willing to engage in a collective blow for their other brethren who were enslaved as well. They were promised freedom, they were promised land, they were promised provisions if they fought. When they came to Nova Scotia, many of them, and some people have used the term, thought they were coming to the promised land because they had these certificates of freedom that were granted to them that established the fact that they, even though they were Africans, were legally free. When black people in New York City were preparing to leave, to evacuate after having served the British on the losing side of the American War, they had to have their names entered into a British military ledger called the Book of Negroes before they were allowed to set sail and, and come over the nine-day trip by boat from New York City to Nova Scotia. My name is Lawrence Hill and I'm a writer. The Book of Negroes is a ledger, 150 pages, about nine columns of information for each person. About 3,000 names are entered into it. And it's the first time in the history of North America that we have thousands of black people publicly, formally documented by a major body. It's vile in its racist language, but it's also rich and colorful in the way it describes people, what they look like. Often a term such as lusty wench, you know, appears to describe a young black woman or broken down not much good, you know, might be another term that's used to describe, say, a man who's blind, you know, who's coming to Nova Scotia. So the black lawless arrive as free men and women into a society that's already prepared to treat people of African descent as simply people who would provide labor and will be bereft of political rights. My name is Charmaine Nelson, and I'm a tier one Canada Research Chair and the director of the Institute for the Study of Canadian Slavery at NASCAD University. Can we form? <laughs> there Listen, you go. <laughs> uh, I, you guys, I gave you guys a really good taste of this because I sat there on the premiere. I watched it on the 26th of February on the History Channel. Then I went back on Global on March the 4th and I watched it again because, you know, you it's so rich. You can miss so much it is you know look sarah i thank you for this this description it is epic cinematography exquisite storytelling watching this exceptional work makes me so proud to be black listen here if you guys have not seen it I, i'm telling you jen and suds i watch it i have tears i have so many emotions i have set my i have set my beautiful phone <laughs> alarm because I can, because you can do that on the iPhone. Hey, <laughs> um, I have set it to make sure that I am right there. Do not book me for the next three weeks for the rest of this series, <laughs> because it is so important that I that I watch this, not just for myself, but tell other people about it. Like, what made you do this series? And for people live and on the replay, this is Jen and Suds, stay tuned, go back to the beginning if you want to know who they are. But we're talking about Black an origin story and this documentary they've just done. What made you do this? Oh, well, I mean, it's a part of the story. Um, I am an immigrant, and um, but I did most of my raising up here in Canada. 
And I think it was very rare for me not to feel like I was the other, that I didn't belong. And a part of that feeling of not belonging was going through a school system that never showed that Black people contributed in a significant way to this country, to the development of this country. And so um, my whole life, um, I had one idea about what Canada was. And then in our 20s, when we made our very first professional film, Speakers for the Dead, we discovered that African Canadians um, were some of the first non-Indigenous settlers in Ontario, in southwestern Ontario in particular. And um, we made a film called um, Speakers for the Dead. Uh, and that, for me, um, was such an important film, but it was kind of ignored. And so, again, somebody called it the George Floyd dividend. Um, so this Black man is murdered, and Canada suddenly understands that there has been systemic and structural racism that have denied Black people opportunities. The film and television industry recognizes this as well. And someone puts in a call to us and said, we've never worked with you. We admire your work. Is there something you would like to do? And Suds and I immediately, without skipping a beat, said, we would like to tell this story this story of Black Canadians, this story that um, uh, of, our, of this history, because we understand the power of history and the power of story and how by young people, young Black people, knowing that Canada was partly built on the backs of Black people, that this in our minds will give um, them a sense of space and place that has not existed and did not exist with our own growing up. So that is how BLK and origin story came about from my point of view. Yeah, I mean, very much so. It's like we were, we try to get some of these stories out there after we learned about them. So we get in the early 2000s, get Speakers of the Dead out in the world and then universities start using it. Like professors like, um, oops, professors like uh, Charmaine Nelson start using it. Um, but we, we um, that's sort of a, a secret within the, you know, academic community, but we always want to tell these stories. And so then we, you know, when we have this opportunity, we're like, okay, well now we can tell these stories that we were st storing up for a long time. And, and the idea that, okay, well, there were large communities of, African indigenous people. They're like, you know, when we would run away, you know, when we would get out of, uh, you know, of America and, and slavery, we'd come up, come up and indigenous folks would take us in. So of course, they take us course. And so there's large, you know, families, you know, and so we never really heard that story before. All, you know, Nova Scotia with the Mi'kmaq and, and Africans, they, they got together. There's lots of black indigenous folks. And yep. so we wanted to talk about that because nobody talks about that. And so these are some of the stories that we want to get out into the world because again, like the, this is Canadian history, but this mm -hmm. is a lot of students think Canadian history is really boring. Yeah, it is boring because they've sanitized it and, yes. and took out all the good bits. And so we're trying to bring the good bits in. <laughs> That's really what BLK and origin story is. You know, yeah. it's, it's so, so, so rich. How long did it take you guys to make this? <laughs> Here's the thing. It took us 
this is incredibly fast. I have not slept in the last two <laughs> or three months because we, we were commissioned in like September of 2020, but we started, we got funding, like our first funding came in November. So between November and um, March, we wrote the treatments wow. and um, put in production applications between March and May got into prep in June, start shooting in July, film from July till basically December, and while editing, and literally, I mean, to deliver episode one, I don't even know what to tell you. It was, uh, and you know, what people don't realize is that it's four one-hour documentaries. And people mm -hmm. generally take a year at least to make a, a one-hour documentary. And uh, as you pointed out, Sarah pointed out, Suds and I wanted to make something really beautiful, something mm -hmm. really impactful. And so we wanted to work with great cinematographers. So we worked with Ricardo Diaz and Iris. Ashley Iris. Uh, Ashley Iris Gill. And the thing is that a black man and a black woman Right. And they were so committed with mm. us to deliver something really beautiful. What people don't know, this episode that you saw, it, it takes place between, let's say, the 17, 1760s to the 1814, 1816. You know what didn't exist? Not photography didn't <laughs> exist. Right. So almost everything we did um, uh, in that episode, I had to create. So the stuff on the ship. All of those things have to be creative, and you know, wow. even like um, there's a, a, a you know there's a, um, a, a image of Thomas Peters, who was one of the founders of Sierra Leone. There's one statue that exists of him in Sierra Leone, and the statue is not well made. So we we made art to, to you know the Maroons ambushing the British. There's not a good image of that. So we we made some we paint we had someone paint that we create we had to create almost everything from scratch, um, you know, bar one or two things like the maroons you talk about the maroons and the, the insignia. First of all, someone one of my researchers randomly found out this information, dug it up. There's nothing that existed and had a painting made. So that was some of the things because we were trying to make it visual, even though there wasn't a lot of material that existed. I think mine has the least amount of material uh, that exists because my period is, is at a time when photography didn't exist. Photography came in, in, in the 1840s, right? But, but also like as, um, as Charmaine Nelson will point out, Dr. Charmaine Nelson, she'll point out, Black people were never usually the subjects of paintings. Yes. So you had right. a lot of money for for paint for a painting for an old painting. So and then you would pay that person uh, a lot of money, and if they did, if you didn't like what they you they turned you out as, um, you wouldn't pay them. So that's why, in terms of all these paintings, all these rich people look as good as they do. Um, but nobody, <laughs> nobody was taking our portraits, right? Nobody was taking our, Nobody was interested. Yeah, and, and so they wouldn't make any money from from somebody who was poor or or enslaved. So that is why we're so so rarely have such rare portraits. Um, and and when you see like something like uh, a slavery uh, ad, like a runaway mm -hmm. slave ad, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was 
project that onto black bodies. We wanted yes. to we wanted to make that clear that this was actually a portrait of this person, but a portrait in text. Uh, Dr. Sherman Nelson is a pioneer of this, looking at as these slavery ads as portraiture, uh, in a way, an unwilling portraiture, because nobody who was a subject of a runaway slave ad wanted to be found, <laughs> you know. But so it was is it's, it's it's but we wanted to port, put, do things visually that you hadn't seen before because in our, like we've always seen a slave ad just printed on a, on a, on a piece of paper. Piece of paper, yeah. Yeah, but when we projected them onto black bodies, onto black faces, it took on a different sort of uh, aesthetic meaning for us. Can I give you another project? <laughs> <laughs> the making of Black and Origin Story. That like. That really needs to be done because just the intricacies of what you're talking about, like I like I, I, I didn't see it. I don't know why I watched the thing twice. And then I saw where the rainbow was placed. I was like, that rainbow, that means hope. That was a deliberate rain. I'm like, girl, I'm like, sons, you just, you just placed that rainbow. That was a message there because the rainbow signifies hope. Yep. Sarah's like such an essential story that needs to be told. My late grandmother is a maroon. They are warriors. It is so important to highlight the contribution and sacrifice of Black, Indigenous, and Loyalists to the liberation and development of Canada. Listen, this thing is so rich. And I, then I looked at all the experts in, in episode one and two. Like, if you could even just narrow down for us, like, how did you even begin to, in that short space of time, pick all those people and then get them to film them? Like, what was the magic? What was the formula? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, some some of the people we're friends with, and that's one thing right. about like in, in in having you know like just having really cool, amazing, intelligent, beautiful, brilliant friends. Like you know, to people that you're we are very lucky. We feel very lucky to count them amongst our friends. So, but when we are, meet, like we met Larry Hill like years ago at an Emancipation Day picnic. When yeah. our kids were really little, our kids were really little, <laughs> and Larry this is before he had Book of Negroes. And so we loved his books, you know, any you known blood and, and the, his early books. Um, mm -hmm. And we just loved his yeah. books and we just were fans. And it's before he hit the stratosphere with it, you know, uh, Book of Negroes. So we've had a long standing relationship with a lot of these folks. And so when it came time to think, okay, well, who makes their living in history as a black person in this country? We, we thought, okay, well, let's talk to, let's bring Larry Hill in this. He's yeah. been great. George L.A. Clark, he's been great. Charmaine Nelson, she's been great. And we didn't know S.E. Adesian, but we, you know, we loved her books. I loved her books, yeah. So yeah. Like, let's reach out to her, you know? And so that's how yeah. it kind of organically came about. Yeah, and I mean, you know, thankfully, because of the work we have done, mm -hmm. for the people that we didn't know, they really responded really positively very quickly. We also had a secret sauce. We worked with Kalela Brooks and um, Kalela Brooks, I hired Kalela Brooks to be my EA uh, executive assistant. And um, she was just excited to work at him. She had, she had admired us. And while she was working with us, I noticed that she had an incredible way of dealing with people that was just really wonderful. And so, um, she also had another job that she was doing. She and, wasn't a good AEA. She was not well, a good AEA. No, no, what was that? Is that she had to leave at two. And my work. She was better at something else. Yes, she was yes. better at something else. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, but to be fair, though, she had to, She was working from like 10 to 2. 
And right. my work goes on till nine o'clock at night. So, but she was going home and doing stuff after her second job. And mm -hmm. I said, anybody who works that hard and who um, is just so committed. So I was um, wanting to, I needed uh, an associate producer. And I thought, who am I going to, you know, who are we going to hire as associate producer? And I obviously going to be a black person. And I think the said, Suts, we should hire Kalila. I mean, I think she's going to work really hard. There's a lot of stuff she has to learn, but I think she's going to work really hard. And I offered her that position. Shockingly, um, like, I don't know, like a month later, we're just talking about, she goes, oh, you know, I'm from Nova Scotia. We're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and then... What? Um, okay, you know, and so and, but what I loved about that story, because it's all true though, is that I saw her value before mm. I realized her larger value. So right. needless to say, she helped me so much. For example, Senator Wonder Bernard is somehow related to her. Can't even remember the connection. And so um, Everybody like, in Nova Scotia so is related to Everybody knows each yeah. Walk around Nova Scotia. Black, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Wayne Hamilton. <laughs> like, just, and she's like, oh, I know this person. Um, that I said, I, I found... Like Uncle Wayne. Yeah. I saw, I saw this museum that I thought was incredibly beautiful. This was the Black Loyalist Museum. And I said, yeah, she goes, oh, I know the person who works there. So, I mean, it was just like... You know, there's no way I could have done, we could have done ha Halifax and Nova Scotia without Kalela. But the beauty of the story is that we hired Kalela because of what we saw in her and her value just, I think that's the thing about black folks. People dismiss us, especially when we don't have the, like the perfect kind of education. And yeah, right? you know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, you, you want some real talk, Nicole? I, real talk, real conversation. Come on now. Real talk? Okay, I'll give you some real talk. You said you want to have a behind the scenes uh, about BLK. I'll just tell you, as a Black entrepreneur, I'm sure you come into this, and people might not be used to you as a Black woman telling you what, telling them what to do, having standards, having, uh, you know, saying, this is what I'd like to do, and I'd like mm -hmm. to see it happen, you know, soon. Uh, uh, you know, here, let's go. But some people are not used to that. We call that with our children. We say that they're traditional thinkers. And mm. we say that you must understand up until this point, this person may be 30, 40, 50 years old. They have been taught by the whole society that white is up here, black is down here. And as a black female, nah, you ain't supposed to be talking to me like that. You, you all the way at the bottom. You yeah, all the way at the bottom. So they're not ready for this. And so we try to interview people and make sure that they understand that, you know, Jennifer's boss and understand that. And just that that's how it should work, right? But the thing is, is that not, people may say they're ready for it, but when it comes time to put pedal to the metal and put, they're not ready for it. And so also, also now we're talking about a young black woman, Ashley Iris Gill. So we say, you know what? She hasn't had all this experience, but right. she has the talent. And after these 42 days of shooting, she's going to be up here. We saw that potential in her, but there were certain people on the crews who might be a little bit older, a little bit whiter, saying, you know what, I should have her job. And, you know, she shouldn't have that job just because she's black or just because We had someone say to another staff, staff member, I don't think it's right that someone should be hired because they're black. And they were talking about Ashley, who is, 
incredible. Some of that beautiful photography you saw was her work with Ricardo Diaz. And, and, and it was like, because they wanted that job, second camera to go to, you know, a partner or a brother, yeah. uh, they actually thought they could get us to do that hiring by not, for example, following up on her contract, by delaying so that she might even have another job. I mean, there were some, once we, we there were some machinations happening that, you know, let me tell you, yeah, yeah. but we're used to it. And so when these things were happening, because we just then reached out to the person directly, Ricardo, um, being a friend and uh, like a, just a fantastic um, uh, cinematographer, filmmaker, we called him up, Ricardo, why is this not happening? He goes, what? No, I'm like, my, my crew never got called. My team never got called. My, this didn't, you know, the sound guy who you guys want to work with, he hasn't gotten the call. So what, once we found <laughs> all this stuff out, all these machinations going on and on and on, you know what I'm saying? Like we found all this stuff out, but this is like we're busy trying to get all these lining up people. I'm doing trying all this to stuff. finance the show while writing and <laughs> trying try to put, put all this stuff together. And these things are big, complex machines to put together. So it takes it takes a lot to do. And so that we leave stuff to other people. And once we found that out, we like no, no, no. So stop that. Da, da, da. But along the way, there was some difficulties because again, like. I've had crews mutiny on it on me in the past because they're not ready to have a black person. Wow. A lot of times, I'm the youngest person on was in my early part of my career. I was the youngest person on the set, and I was also the director. So that was something very upsetting to like fifty year old, sixty year old white guys because they were like used to calling the shots. And so I've had crews mutiny on me. So I'm like, uh, and then I have to take over the camera and take over the set. Like it's not been easy. It's not been wow. easy. This is this has been like Jennifer's like we've had some tough, tough times to get here. So when even still on this project, we were surprised because we thought we passed all that, but no, it's not. It's, it, it still happens. So the thing though is that with, for example, with Ashley, I have to tell you, like when you saw somebody who was so talented and and tough, right? Because yeah. she 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 got this from these other guys too on the crew. So she but she put her head down. And then this this woman is also an excellent drone pilot. She's like, it, it's it's insane. This girl is talented. She came to she play came, she and, and she <laughs> delivered more than than we expected. And that's the thing when you give our people a chance and then give them the tools for success, mm -hmm. they will over deliver. And that's and, and you know and so and that's something we know. And so you know sometimes it's it's harder on you yeah. by the way because. You know, there's certain things that don't you don't know. You know, you don't have that those years because even Ricardo, who's really a wonderful DOP, he's not really had the industry big production opportunities. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, so so these are the things, right? And you're having to fight. And then for me as a black woman, you know, our um, line producer said to me, and he was he's a really lovely guy. He said. Uh, six months ago, I've never heard your name. I heard about, I know, I heard Suds. Mm. So, but I never heard your name. And, you know, I was like, I don't care, whatever. But here's the thing. What that means and what that me has meant is that when I say I want this, whatever, half the time, 
people are just dis, like not dismissing, but kind of like expecting or thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. Okay, I don't know what they're thinking. They, Call it out. Call it they, out. Yeah, they don't. They don't believe that I know what mm -hmm. I want and what I'm doing. But you talk to Ricardo, who was our lead DOP. He will tell you. <laughs> I would go into a space and, I, and he'd be like, da da da. And what about? That? And I'm like, no, nah, let's do this, this, and this. I mean, there are times when I. But I, I, I have a vision. Like when we were doing this, I was like, let's do these signs for the, the thing. Let's get. I was like, I need a drone person. I need to get this water. Thing. Uh, everything you see was something that I said I needed. Because you're born for this. Born for this, Jen. Born for this. I'm not trying to toot my horn. I'm just merely saying, though, people then just assume. And then even in the post-production, people have actually ascribed my episode to Suds, like I did taking my name off things, just bizarre. That would send was, him emails was. and not me yeah. on my own episode. I mean, listen, but fortunately- There's a lot of, there's a lot of sexism out there. You see, yeah. the, you, you're, 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 you're pointing out some key lessons here. Who can you trust? Who do you trust? And your team, your inner core has to be your inner core because what I'm picking up here, could you imagine if you and Suds didn't have the relationship that you do? Exactly. Oh, it would be, it would be, let me tell uh, you. A uh, hot mess that we can't uh, even make up a hot sunny day. It uh, would be a hot completely, mess. Completely. Yeah. And, completely. I, and I, I think that ultimately, Nicola, is like when um, us as Black people mm -hmm. are in the driver's seat. And again, like we, we have to make decisions of bringing other Black folks in. Because yes. anyhow, you're the only person there, is that's when they destroy you. Because like we can't play that game. We have to bring people in who you trust, people in who you're giving a chance to, to to so, so that they they maybe they've been denied or what have you. But like they they're having a chance. They get in the shot. And now because now we all boats lift as we rise, right? That's the whole point. And you know what? And I'll say to my black sisters and brothers out there, we have come from an unsafe people. We are traumatized. We have yeah. some stuff. But you, there is enough room for all of us. All of us, yeah. Like, if you look at Dr. Vibe and and there's another, you know, another podcaster friend of mine, Danny Stone and Sarah, we all celebrate each other. Okay, did you get this one? Did you? What do you need? It's it's like everybody has their own frequency. Yeah. Like that some of our audiences may cross over, and that's okay. But some people they may not know, and it's okay. It's okay to lift each other up. We do more together when we rise together. I just, I'm just so in love with the two of you. I'm just, I just want to curl up next to you and just talk for hours. Like just, just talk because this is real talk, real conversation. And, and this is what happens here in the show. We, we, we lose track of time. So anytime you say, Nicole, it's time to go, just, just send me a little text. But, because I, I, you know, when I was watching it, one of the things, the words I heard was freedom. Freedom came out a lot, right? What does freedom and, and and listening now to the context of the story, context of your filmmaking, curating this, what does freedom really look like for you now, especially now that you've come through doing these documentaries? Because I'm sure you're different people now than you were when you started this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's a brilliant question. Do you want to go first? See, that's a trap. She always puts me in front. You want to go first? I know. 
Jamaica say she played fool to catch wise. Okay. <laughs> See, this, this is his thing that first time I heard it, I was like, oh. this is him now doing that thing where he, I don't know if you notice, he makes me go first all the time. And then whenever I say for him to go first, he then turn around and say, oh, she's doing this. Like, Fine, I have no problem. For me, freedom is being able to go where you want, to be where you want, and to do what you want unmolested. That, that there's not some roadblock block set up where you can achieve yourself. It, it's not just like, um, you know, um, it's not just a physical thing. It's the inability to be the person that you are inside because the, everything around you has created systems where you, you, are, you are in a box where you're diminished. You know what I mean? So it's not just like I physically am able to go to the store. But if you go to the store and there's three, four things along the way that's keeping you from being who you are because you're just so downtrodden by the system, that is not freedom. When I think about the early Blacks, they did not, they came here seeking freedom. And so, and they were put in the worst places, like, you know, the places where I was a hard road, rocks, this kind of a thing. They, were, they weren't given the ability to survive in the way that white settlers were given um, opportunities to survive. So in many cases, they had to compromise everything that they had just to survive. Freedom is beyond just surviving. Freedom is the ability to thrive. Woo! Yeah, she dropped the mic on that side. I don't know what you're going to really, say. I, I was like, wow. I, I think, <laughs> no, it's a, no, it's a good question. I think you answered it very well. Um, but I think that like one of the things, because we asked all of our people, all of mm -hmm. our contributors, mm -hmm. what freedom meant to them. Really? Oh, absolutely. Because it, it's, yeah. it's such an in incredible question because yeah. we who were denied freedom from birth, um, because as far as if we were talking 200 years ago or whatnot, it's like your children, you, your children, your children's children would be slaves. As far as you understood it, they would be right. slaves forever. Right. And and so that was like in, in looking at, you know, celebration of Women's History Month. I'm reading a, a, a feminist history about white women who own slaves in the South because they were told like, I mean, we understand white women as ab abolitionists and all that kind of stuff. The truth, there were some abolitionists. Absolutely. But 40% of the white of the slave owners in the South around that were women. And we have to really now talk about that because it says that, you know what? Actually, women were not denied agency. Actually, women were active participants in this. So we, we now have to re-explore and talk about all these things. But getting back to your question about freedom, we were like thinking, okay, like what is freedom? Because we asked Larry Hill, we asked every single person, what does freedom mean to you? And it's like people had great answers like, well, freedom to love who I want, you know, mm. freedom to make a mistake when I'm a teenager and not have to pay for it with my life, you know, freedom, yeah. you know, freedom to, to, to walk down the street and not be afraid of the police, you know, 
freedom to be a young black boy in school and to make a mistake and not have to be suspended or call the police or be taken away in handcuffs. Like these are the things that freedom means. I can move through the society, make a mistake and, 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 and grow up and, you know, and have all the, the benefits of, of the society, but, and, and not be penalized by the state for just existing. So all of these things, I mean, it's, it's, it's complex in terms of freedom and, and, and what it, it means. But I think that as black people, we have to demand true freedom, you know, from the institutions of the state that used to oppress us. Because again, police, the police were actually come out of slave patrols. That's their history. So they're there to protect rich people's property. We are the property. We were the property. And when we stopped being the property, we then became the target and never, mm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, still are, still yeah. are the target. Yeah. So, and we still are the target. We still are right. the target. Listen, yeah. so, um, we're making a documentary, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my I, have this, I have this secret dream of being a filmmaker. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I have documentaries, I, I have documentaries, but this this freedom one, even if we do a short reel, we'll call, mm. you know, we can do a short Instagram reel, <laughs> Facebook reel, YouTube reel. What is freedom? But yeah. I'll need your cinematography. Um, <laughs> uh, to make it really make it really fun <laughs> now now i'm really enjoying this conversation and before i get off track and i just a few more questions before we wind up where can people watch black and origin story well you can watch it every friday night on global at, at 9, 9 p.m uh friday night at global 9 p.m and you will see this week we're gonna see vancouver uh sorry we're gonna see uh montreal, montreal on mm -hmm. Friday night, but Saturday nights, you'll catch the new one. And we, we drop a new one on Saturday nights at nine. Vancouver. And that's Vancouver. We're going to see the history of Victoria, Vancouver, and a place called Holman's Alley, where mm -hmm. the black people used to hang back in yeah. Vancouver. I'm uh, looking forward to that one because I'm, I love this episode. I'm looking forward to this one. Suns and I co-directed that one. And I love the episode because I think it was a story I knew the least about. And mm -hmm. even the parts of the story that we that some people know about, the other parts, I think I've not met anybody who knows anything about it. So um, I think it's a really, really important story. Um, Friday night, I think Maya um, Anik Bedward did the Montreal episode. She's a young filmmaker. Um, I wanted to bring uh, a young person on the project and she's a woman and, um, and that's really important to me too. She's very talented so she was on her way anyhow but we brought her in and she wrote and directed it and she did a phenomenal job mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and that's on Global as Sud said. History Saturday night and, um, and also like stack like the history all the history um, uh, affiliates it's on there. And I should say what they do on Saturdays, though, they play the previous week on the eight at eight o'clock and at nine o'clock on Saturday, they play the new one. So you'll be able to catch the Vancouver episode on Saturday on history. But guess what? The next Friday, it's going to be on global. So for those who don't have cable and so forth and whatnot, global every Friday night, um, for the next three weeks, you're going to be able to catch BLK and Origin Story. Oh, oh. you're mute. You're, now mute. You're, you're muted. All this excitement and I'm muted. All that excitement. <laughs> I'm just saying to people, go on demand and watch it because you can always go on demand and watch it. And Heather was saying freedom is being able to make a mistake with, oh, <laughs> yeah, she's repeat. Listen. 
I am I'm, I'm loving this and, and people go watch it. Now, you mm -hmm. did all of this. And from the little that I saw, I felt some of the trauma. So if you could just, and, and we're in mental health week. I got my black men, I got my mental health is pinning mm -hmm. on here. Um, how do you take care of your mental health as a filmmaker dealing with the racist individuals and the system? But what, what do the two of you do to just stay grounded and maintain your mental health so well? Mm. I, th I think you have to like have friends that you can talk mm -hmm. to. And, and I think that in the case of like, you know, what was, what was going on on the crew and stuff is being able to take Ricardo and, and Ashley and say, Hey, this is what's going on. And uh, you know, I want to talk to you. How do you feel? And ask them just do that check-in every week. Mm -hmm. um, and there's nobody else around, you know, and whatever, whatever is going on, I think that we have to be there to support each other. Yeah. And then with Jen and myself, I mean, it's a daily thing. We call, talk to each other throughout the day, constantly, constantly. Um, every day. And it's like, you know, what what's going on? And hopefully, you know, if something's going on in her backyard or something going on in my background, we do a check-in uh, throughout the day, but also at the end of the night, just checking in and saying, hey, what's, what's going on? And also with our kids too, because our kids have struggles. They're all depressed because of COVID. And so we try to buoy up their spirits and tell them that this is their conflict. This is their war. This is their, their thing that they got to deal with, but try to be there for them too, because we have to understand that they're going through something that's unprecedented yeah. for them. And yeah. so, so, but in, the, in mental health, I'm so glad you're proponent and big proponent of mental health because as black people, we have to really take care of that because like, and be, and say that it's okay, you know, yeah. if you're going through something right now, because I've, we 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 here for you, and it's really really important um, to check in with everybody and just say hey, how are you feeling or just go for a walk or whatever whatever you you need because it's like we have to support each other because this world is very very cruel and the society is very cold and indifferent to our suffering and obviously you, you notice that because there's a a whatever gentleman's name George Floyd dividend because some, certain black people get some opportunities now a lot of white people getting a nose out of joint. So you get that backlash or the blacklash too. And so we got to be there for that too, because that's going to happen if it's not happening already. So we have to be here for each other. How do you deal with the backlash? The blacklash. Go go ahead, Miss Jen. How are you taking care of your mental health okay. and wellness? So I think that for the longest time, I didn't. For the longest mm -hmm. time, I, I remember even when we were dating and, and for many years, I would sit in a car and he would be driving and I would be like this and I would have to, and I, or, or rarely when I rarely went to get my nails done, they'd be like, you know, release. And I was on high alert at all times. And how I got through um, crises was work. Work kept me grounded. Um, uh, and um, like, it was a place where I felt I could fight all the other stuff by just doing. Then I started to understand that I was not dealing with mental health issues, whatever they were, um, and the comfort of work or reading was my other way of dealing with mental health. I love books, I love stories. And so when I was the most depressed and the most sad, I would find 
a novel yeah. and then lose myself into someone else's story and then the world didn't seem so bad. Then Oprah Winfrey and her mm -hmm. school Sunday actually saved me. I remember there was a period where, you know, because it's tough. You're always fighting. And I'm trying to raise nice. my three daughters and I'm, I'm I feel it. And sometimes sons actually travels to, to work and I'm on my own. And it just feels like so, you know, and then you're just also grumpy even, you know, right. which is the times where I, I don't like myself, you know. And so Super Soul Sunday and finding the voices of black women in particular. Oh, I love Super Soul Sunday. Listen, it is because it reminds me of who I am, mm -hmm. why, what I'm, my internal life is valuable. So we have yeah. a dog. And so mental health for me is taking a walk with the dog, maybe re walk, listening to a Super Soul Sunday, or just literally, I literally sing to myself while I walk. I'm like looking at, I'm observing the world that's around me. I'm real, and all of that gives me such grace, such sense of place and feeling. And last but not least, I won't lie, um, communicating uh, to sons some of what is happening um, and retre retreating from mm -hmm. the demands. Yes. Um, retreating from, from things and just like having the ability to do that has been some of the things that have kept me like pretty, cause I'm uh, pretty solid. But yeah. as I, I've noticed though, that it's actually becoming harder and harder. There's just so much coming at you and I know it's really, really difficult. And so, and and I and I so I what I try to do is I try to be that support to others in need too. Yes. Like just that, just sending a text saying I love you. Just sending a text and saying yes. you're amazing. Just, yes. just being cognizant that that you have to fill that role. Finding a little something that you think someone will like and send Somebody it to them. Somebody comes to mind. Don't right. delay. Don't delay when that yeah. person yeah. comes to mind. It, is, yeah. it yeah. is so important. And I like your transparency and your vulnerability because not many people, you know, um, want to speak about it. And Dr. Vibe, you're so right. Even strong people struggle. And we are all strong people. And it's and it's it's our humanity. We are human beings and we're only meant to do so much. And no is a complete sentence. The same way that you will not... Don't tell me no when you want a project. But sometimes you have to say no for self-preservation. No is my self-preservation. Oh, we got a question from the audience. Hold on, we can't leave without this. Okay. Did the broadcaster give a lot of notes or did they let Jen and Suds run with it? Yeah, I mean, like they have their notes and their questions and stuff, but for the most part, they let us run they with it. They let us run with it. Yeah. it. There was a lot of respect that was given. We worked with Kathleen Meek and also though, from Rachel Nelson on high, mm -hmm. she put the word to the team um, to let us be, be able to tell the stories. So I know there were some things that were, were no, there wasn't a lot of notes, I have to say, there weren't a lot of notes. Mm -hmm. But when the notes came, it was always coached in, we would like this, but what do you mm -hmm. guys think? Or, and so there were some of them that we really, you know, try to meet because they were actually intelligent based on some of the things that they understood. And the other ones we were like, no, this makes, this doesn't work for us. And they didn't even fidget or, you know, I mean, we, I felt like we were in a team trying to make the best show. And right. so for that part of it, it was really, it was, it was, 
It was good because, again, like this is Canadian history and this is yep. history that none of us know. Right. Yep. So when we were discovering this stuff, they're like, what? Really? What? And like, yeah, <laughs> was like, and, and so but that was the thing of like bringing this history to the country and to the rest of the world, because that was our burden. Right. Our burden is to represent our ancestors and and, and honor our ancestors. Yeah in a way that they've never been honored before. And that's what, you know, I mean, everybody's talking about the, the first episode. That's what I think Jen did such a great job with in terms of respecting and honoring our ancestors and saying, showing them like, you know, that pit house that we, you know, that was like, nobody told us about the pit house. We were never just walking it. around, Jen was just walking around, wandering around the grounds of the museum. And she's like, what is the structure? And then we, you know, found out about it. And, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. This is how we used to live. But the thing is that indigenous folks taught us how to build those structures. Come on now. That's it, Absolutely. 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 Yeah. But it's like that's advanced technology of the time because, like, what they were going to just freeze and oh, die. Oh, some of them died. If not, if not I mean, pills. you have to understand, yeah. people died. People froze to death. People, I mean, what... I mean, it wasn't. And it was cool. And they didn't have what, you know, they didn't have a lot of the things that we had. Like, I, I watched that. Listen, people, we're going to try not to give away too much, but you need to really watch this. My question for you is I, I really commend the History Channel and I really commend Global for putting this on. But after Global, after, you know, History Channel, what are you going to do with this? How are we going to get to see it? Are we, what, what, what's the plan? I have a plan, but I don't know what your plan is. But I have a plan for this plan. We just need some money for it. We have a plan. Whoever's listening out there in Victory Land, how much, money, need, okay. how much so, money do we need? Yeah, so this is the thing. We, no, how much money we need? Oh, gosh. I would say how much about millions do we need? I would, I would say about 100. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Two things. We don't do, we do, the, we create the lessons and so forth, but we need to right. hire people. This is what happened. On subjects of desire, the first time, part of the reason why people know about Subjects of Desire is I hired an impact producer. And that impact producer, Jackie Garrow, who has been really fantastic, she's so we pay her and um, we pay she pays um, a, a digital media person like to do social media. You see my social media is on fire around Subjects of Desire. Yes. Not, I've learned and I'm doing stuff, but there's someone who's helping or creating. I'm, I'm actually doing my own stuff to support it and bringing in the narratives and all this kind of stuff, but someone that we putting the visuals here. We hired an illustrator. So it's shocking, but you must understand television, a movie, for it's example, it's not cheap. They're paying $60 million to promote a movie. We're talking about $100,000, um, but it's to hire primarily to, to do this stuff. Here's yeah. what we want to do, though. We want to do two things okay. we want to create lesson plans for all of the episodes. And we want them to. We want to get them to school. We want to get them to corporations because a lot of the people who make decisions in this country don't know. So it's not just to the schools. And so we and we want to set up a system whereby um, uh, we can actually have some speakers besides ourselves because we have to make other things. Yeah go in with the films and present it and have conversations and facilitate those things. So that's one thing. We're also developing a series of graphic novels about mm -hmm. the episode. So they'll be companion and, and they can actually travel the world essentially because 
Uh, and so we've gotten some funding and we're, we're in the process of doing that. And so that is a huge project and we need support um, to do it because again, otherwise then Suds and I would only be working on BLK for the next bunch of years, but we have a lot of other things. So we need that support. So anybody who's out there who wants to Listen. come invest in our impact plan, it's called, it's called an impact plan, okay. call us. We need that funding, and we our aim is to get this all over Canada, but also internationally, particularly in the U.S., because as you see, some of the uh, early Blacks are, in fact, Black Americans. And then even Jamaica, there's been an interest in this story because of the Maroons. We want to get it there, too. We want people to understand what our history is. Our history has been erased, and, yes. and this history, I think, is triumphant. It's a, a, a legacy of strength and endurance and resilience. And we need the world to understand that. So that is kind of like, so we, we think that we can't just have it air and then move on. No, we got we to gotta make sure that this is a part of what we understand about Canada. So you know why I had you call it out? I had you call it out for a few reasons. Because we got to speak it into existence. We have to have the vision, right? We have to be, I'm going to give you my victory formula. You have to have the vision. You got to be intentional. So we're intentional about announcing this to the world because we never know who knows who, because your, your, your ED became your associate producer who knew people in Nova Scotia. So we don't know who knows who, right? So we are going to cultivate this vision here today because we need this to go out all over the world. And I'm so serious about this. I'm feeling this vision. And we're going to take the T and be tactical with it. And we're going to create some transformation. Oh, my God. And then we're going to have some ovation along the way, you know, because we're going to orchestrate this vision because we're going to have the prayer warriors praying about this somewhere because we're going to bring it to light. And then we're going to just take a little rest along the way. And as in order for this to come forward, mm -hmm. we are going to yield, humble ourselves to this, this process. Because let me tell you, Black, an origin story. Oprah's got to see it. Ellen's got to see it. Tyler Perry's got to see it. Somebody, some of the millionaire that we don't even know about. Because mm -hmm. I just called some that we know. But what about the ones that we don't know? Oh, no, yeah. What yeah. about somebody who's out there who has a passion for education, mm -hmm. who has a passion for hearing the truth, that the truth that will set us free will, will come forward and, and propel this into the education system and, and do the books and help you do the novels and get the ghostwriters and get the illustrators and pay people what they're worth. Oh no, this is coming to forth. This is coming to forth. This is coming to life. I am excited. This is part of your legacy, Jen and Suds. And so what, if, if you, if something happened tomorrow, God forbid, right? And every piece of information, every post, video, la -di -da, -di da got removed. What would be the one thing, the one message that you would want to keep for the world to see and know? Oh, geez. That's a good one. <clears throat> um, I... I think it's a, maybe it's about seeing people um, to, it's, I know for me, I felt unseen for such a long time. And I think it's about 
we have to remove these dangerous narratives that stop us from seeing each other for who we really are, that create alternative realities and stories that are harmful and not true. I think that, because for me, I, I do think if people saw black folks, the individual person in their life, or who they really are, as opposed to all this other nonsense that's been created, I think the world would be completely different, you know? I mean, when you think about, like, for example, this alternative reality of fake news, mm. what people are talking about are complete lies. Yes. And I think that if everything disappeared, the one, if people were able to actually see people for their actions, for what they do, for who they are, I think we'd have a shot at mm. reshaping the world. And Seth, what about you? What what would you, what would be that one message or the one thing you wouldn't want them to delete that, that must be here in perpetuity of time? Um. I think that was beautiful what you said. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think like one of the things that have been occupying me throughout the, this process is our ancestors were stronger than any of us imagined, but we are the ancestors of our children and our, 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 our children's children. So we also are stronger than we imagined. Because I think that like the stuff that they went through that we're now going through, we're going through similar stuff, you know, but it's like we, we learn so much about these people in trying to amplify their voices and to try, you know, we, there's this one woman, Sylvia Starks in, in, uh, in, in, in British Columbia, 16 years old. She marries a man 30 years her senior. She's 16 years old. She marries this man, has an X number of kids but and lives to you know be a hundred and odd but this in a very hostile environment but you're talking about a 16 year old girl marrying a man who's almost 50 and that was kind of the regular way that was what happened and your expectation as a woman is you produce a number of children and that's was your job mm -hmm. and that's all you were essentially it wasn't like there was a uh, you know, this romantic pairing and all that kind of stuff. The romance romance came much later. That's a recent invention in terms of marriage. But mm -hmm. like, but you imagine how strong that little girl is to live then to live to a hundred years of age. On a, you know, I mean, like, I can't even begin to understand that. I can't begin to understand how strong she was. So. All I'm saying is that when we lay this down, that if that can remain and say, look how strong she was, yeah. look how she is, you know what I mean? Look how strong we are. Yeah. That I think is what we have, to, that's our legacy with this project is look how strong we are. Look how strong we were, look how strong we are tomorrow. That's what I think that yeah. our legacy, that's what I think that we, this should remain. Yeah. And I, I love, though, what you said about we are the ancestors to our children and their children, right? That? Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. 
that was a drop the mic. That was a drop the mic moment. Like that was a, we are the ancestors to our children. That was a true drop the mic moment. Now you can't be on the Victory Speak show and don't answer this last question. Okay. <laughs> what does victory look like to you? Oh man. Um, victory looks like to me having greater choice mm. um, uh, for what I get to do and how I get to care for the people with me. I've said that one of the hardest things in being considered a success in an environment that was hostile was that we didn't have the resources to really um, have choice and not to care for the people. Um, you know, not to not to not to pay people the what what they deserve, mm -hmm. not to give positions, not to create the the infrastructure that we 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 would really have helped us. Um, um, we still manage to make work, but I think victory means that I get to choose my team, work on the projects that we believe in, and take care of the people that are up with us in a way that that they deserve to be treated yeah and then also making freaking amazing work that globally people would be like uh we let's celebrate them let's celebrate them because the work they do is incredibly beautiful and and impactful and powerful and all this so yeah that would be victory <laughs> what's victory to you there says well all of that all of that is all <laughs> i of love that. the two of you <laughs> Absolutely. All of that is victory. But I, I think that, you know, ultimately victory is a, a, that and just being able to, you know, like just achieve our potential. Mm. And that's like, I think that's limitless. Because like if you have the ability to dream it and then figure out the steps that are going to take to get you there and then to execute, that's victory. Because if you make a plan, again, as they say, as my parents said, fail to plan, plan to fail. It's like <laughs> you, you make your plan and you yeah. stick to it and then you nose to the grindstone and, and you know, that, that, and then, then actually executing and then winning. Man, yeah. Achieving That's your potential. It. I love it. it. I love it. Achieving, it. Your Achieving your potential. Yeah. You know what? We need a we need a version. Uh, anybody in, in, in the land out there who knows people who know people, we need a Black Love Canada. You know, the show <laughs> Black, Black Love in the U.S. I love that show because you get to see Black oh, Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need a Black Love Canada, and I, I definitely have one of my power couples here that's going to be on Black Love Canada because <laughs> super kind of fragilistic espialidocious. <laughs> I am so wishing you guys all the best. Like, folks, you need to just go to Hungry Eyes Media. Go search them up. Go on their website. Follow them. Find Jen and find Suds on Instagram and follow them. And, and amplify and share the story. And when you watch the documentary, don't just watch it. Share it. Tell people about it. Make sure everybody is tuned in next on Friday, the 11th and on Saturday and make sure you are so tuned in that you do not miss the moment of this. Suds and Jen, thank you for sharing your victory story. Thank you for sharing your love. 
Thank you for sharing your insight on your wisdom. I feel very victorious today. And if anybody wants to watch this again, you can go on the YouTube channel and you can subscribe to the YouTube, Victory Speaks YouTube channel. And I'm going to leave you with these quotes and I'm going to I'm going to let Jen and Suds take a rest from talking because I've had them talking all evening. <laughs> Remember, and you know, one of the things that came out of what you said is funny. It's a quote I had for tonight from Maya Angelou was, when you get, give. And when you learn, teach. And that's what you guys do. And I tell everybody, you know, love is in the details. People like to say Dev, the devil is in the details. I say no, brethren. Oh. <laughs> love is in the details. Well, that's my quote. So yes, I'm going to have to copyright that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you have really inspired me, Suds and Jen, to really even think about that dream I've had about filmmaking and, and documentaries because I have so many in my head, especially I want to do one for mental health. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I remind everybody to seek to have an inspired conversation today. Look at this conversation. I hope you were inspired by it. I hope you got nuggets from it. And sometimes that conversation just, you know, starts with a smile <laughs> and, you know, let your victory speak. Remember your victory moments. As you go through this, go back and write down some of the stuff. There's so much that we can learn from each other. There's so much that we can glean from each other. And, you know, one of the things I, I did it's behind here. And I have my candles from Real Talk Candles, support of Black business people, you know. And I have my little victory box and I write down victory moments during the week or if I forget the week in the month. Because sometimes when we feel down, we forget those things. So that's one of my mental health things. So Suds and Jen, thank you for showing up and being here with me today. And for everybody live and on the replay, we thank you for tuning in. We're going to end the show with a little video and we're going to say, we're going to bid you bid adieu and good night. Good night. Thank you, Nicole.